Chapter 14 of Countess Erika's Apprenticeship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Vinay Mala. Countess Erika's Apprenticeship by Osip Shubin. Translated by Annie Sleevister. Chapter 14. The sleepy afternoon quiet is broken by a sudden stir and excitement. It is time to go to the theatre, and the Landoffs, in a rattling, clumsy, four-seated hired carriage, join the endless train of vehicles of all descriptions that wind through the narrow streets of the little town and beyond it, until upon an eminence in the midst of a very green meadow, they reach the ugly red structure looking something like a gasometer with various mysterious protuberances the temple of modern art the landoffs are among the last to arrive but they are in time unpunctuality is not tolerated at beirut summoned by a blast of trumpets the public ascend a steep short flight of steps to a large undecorated auditorium the countess landoff and her granddaughter have seats on the bench farthest back just in front of the royal boxes at a given signal, all the ladies present take off their hats. It suddenly grows dark, so very dark that until the eye becomes accustomed to it, nothing can be discovered in the gloom. Gradually, row upon row of human heads are perceived stretching away in what seems endless perspective. Such is the auditorium of the theatre at Beirut. The most brilliant toilet and the meanest attire are alike indistinguishable. Here is positively no food for idle curiosity, nothing to distract the attention from the stage. Agitated as Erika already was, and consequently sensitively alive to impressions, the first sound of the trumpets thrilled her every nerve, and before the last note of the prelude had died away, she had reached a condition of ecstasy closely allied to pain and could with difficulty restrain her tears. All the woe of sinning humanity wailed in those tones, the mortal anguish of that humanity which in its longings for the imperishable, the supernatural, beats and bruises itself against the barriers that it cannot pass. That humanity, which dragged down by the burden of its animal nature, grovels on the earth when it would fain soar to the starry heavens. Just when the music wailed the loudest, she suddenly started. Someone in a seat in front of her turned round. A handsome southern type of man with sharply cut features, short hair and a pointed beard in the grey twilight, she encountered his glance, a strange searching look fixed upon her face, affecting her as did Wagner's music. At the same time, a tall, fair woman at his side also turned her head. Vio Geskilia, she asked discontentedly. Senikia og resemblance kima fape. He replied in the weary tone of annoyance, often to be observed in men who are under the domination of jealous women. A couple of young Italian musicians, blinding their eyes in the darkness by the study of an open score, exclaimed angrily, Hush! And the stranger riveted his eyes upon the stage where the curtain was just rolling up. Erika shivered slightly. Some secret chord of her soul, a chord of which she had hitherto been unaware, vibrated. 
Where had she seen those dark searching eyes before? The musical drama pursued its course and at first it seemed as if the enthusiasm produced in Erika's mind by the prelude was destined to fade utterly. The painted scenes were too much like other painted scenes. She had heard them extolled too highly not to be disappointed in them. The music to her ignorant ears was confused, inconsequent, a tangle of shrill involved discords in the midst of which there were now and then musical phrases of noble and poetic beauty. The effect was not to be compared with the impression produced upon the girl by the prelude, when suddenly she seemed to hear as from another world a voice calling her, arousing her, something unearthly, mystical, interrupted by the same shuddering, alluring wail of anguish, and when the nerves Stung to the last degree of tension, seemed on the point of giving way, there came rippling from above like cooling dew upon sun-parched flowers with promise of redemption, the mystic purity of the boy chorus. Made wise by pity, the pure in heart. No one shall ever induce me to come again. I am fairly consumed with nervous fever. No one has a right under the pretense of art to stretch his fellow creatures thus on the rack. Percival is altogether too fat. Wagner should have cut his Percival out of Donatello, exclaims Countess Landoff, as she leaves the theatre at the close of the first act. I don't quite understand the plot, Lord Langley confesses. The leading idea seems to me unpractical. I must say I feel rather confused. He then speaks of Kundri as a very unpleasant young woman and asks Erika if she does not agree with him. But Erika shrugs her shoulders and makes no reply. She is very ungracious today, his lordship remarks with a rather embarrassed laugh. Shall I take offence, Countess? This to the Countess Anna. No, she is too beautiful ever to give offence. Only look, she is creating quite a sensation. Everyone is staring after you, Erika. The theatre is empty. The audience is streaming across the grass towards the restaurant to refresh itself. Close behind the Landoffs walks the Russian Princess B, who hires an entire suit of rooms for every season and attends every representation. She is dressed in embroidered muslin and from the broad brim of her white straw hat hangs a Brussels lace veil partially concealing her face, which was once very handsome. She addresses the old countess. Ete vul tu she dilaghas, mashikhan. Countess Anna shakes her head emphatically. No, the music is too highly spiced and peppered for me. It has made me quite thirsty. I long for a draught of prosaic beer and some Mozart. The Russian smiles and immediately begins to tell of how she had once reproved Rubinstein when he ventured to say something derogatory with regard to Wagner. A stout tradesman whose poetically inclined wife has apparently brought him to Beirut against his will exclaims, What a humbug it is! To which his wife rejoins, You cannot understand it the first time. You must hear Percival frequently, very possibly, he declares. But I shall never hear it again. The Landoffs and Lord Langley take their seats at a table in the airy balcony of the restaurant to drink a cup of tea. Table and tea have been reserved for them by Ludaik's watchful care. 
the greater part of the assemblage can scarcely find a chair upon which to sit down or a glass of lemonade for refreshment the consequence is that there is much unseemly pushing and crowding erica eats nothing lord langley complains as do all englishmen of the german food and the old countess complains of the shrill music meanwhile a tall striking woman advances to the table where the three are sitting and where there is a fourth chair unoccupied who pactoni she exclaims you thum defatik erica gazes at her it is the companion of the man who had turned to look at her in the theater during the prelude a disgust for which she cannot account possesses her it is as if she were aware of the presence of something impure repulsive and yet she could not possibly explain why the stranger should excite such a sensation she is undeniably handsome well formed with regularly chiseled features and fair hair dressed with great care and knotted behind beneath the brim of her broad leghorn hat a red veil is tied tightly over her face there is nothing else to excite disapproval in her dress and inexperienced mortals would pronounce her age to be scarcely 30 it would require great familiarity with parisian arts of the toilet to perceive that her whole face is painted and that she is at least 40 years old everything about her is exquisitely fresh and neat and from her person is wafted the peculiar aroma of those women whose chief occupation in life is to take care of their bodies her air is respectable and somewhat affected lord langley to whom her unbidden presence seems especially annoying is about to intimate this to her when her escort approaches and hastily whispering to her obliges her to leave her place which she does unwillingly and even crossly courteously lifting his hat the young man utters an embarrassed excuse me and retires she can be heard reproaching him petulantly as they walk away and their places in the theater remain unoccupied during the other acts of the drama disgusting mutters lord langley do you know who it was he asks turning to the countess anna lozensi the young artist who created such a sensation a couple of years ago she was his mistress i remember her in rome although upon erica's account the words are spoken in an undertone she hears them and the blood rushes to her cheeks and now parsifal is over the second act with its fluttering flower girl scene in rather frivolous contrast with the serious motive of the work its crude inharmonious decorations and its wonderful dramatic finale the third act too is over with its sadly sweet sunrise melody its good friday spell resolving itself into the angelic music of the spheres with the hovering harp arpeggio of the final scene still thrilling in their souls erica and her grandmother with lord langley drive back to town leaving behind them the melancholy rustle of the forest and hearing around them the rolling of wheels the cracking of whips and the footsteps of hundreds of pedestrians life throbs in erica's veins more warmly than it is wont to do she is filled with the vague foreboding unknown to her hitherto she seems to herself to be confronting the solution of a great secret beside which she has pursued her thoughtless way and around which the entire world circles at the door of their lodgings lord langley takes his leave of the ladies 
with a lover's tenderness he slips down the glove from his betrothed's white wrist and imprints upon it two ardent kisses as he whispers i trust that my charming erica will be in a more gracious mood tomorrow the disagreeable sensation caused by his warm breath upon her cheek was persistent she could not rid herself of it she sent away her maid and whilst she was undressing took from her pocket the packet of letters which goswin had left with her she had carried it with her all day long without finding a moment in which to destroy the papers now she removed their outside envelope merely to assure herself that they were her mother's letters yes she recognized the handwriting not the strong almost masculine characters which had distinguished her mother's writing in the later years of her life but the long slanting faded hand which erica could remember in the old exercise books of her school days nothing could have tempted the girl to read these letters she kissed the poor yellow sheets twice sadly and reverentially and then she held them one by one in the flame of her candle her heart was very heavy a yearning for tenderness for sympathy possessed her and she felt sore and discouraged the wailing music the shuddering alluring strains of sinful worldly desire still haunted her soul with the glance of the stranger who seemed to her no stranger she felt a choking sensation at the thought of his companion never before had she come in contact with anything of the kind she lay down but could not sleep how sultry even stifling was the atmosphere the windows of the little room were wide open but the air that came in from without was heavy and inodorous it brought no refreshment the tread of a belated pedestrian echoed in the street below and there was the sound of laughter and song from some inn in the neighborhood suddenly the door opened and the old countess entered in a white dressing gown and lace nightcap she had a small lamp in her hand which she put down on a table and then seating herself on the edge of the bed she scanned the young girl with penetrating eyes is anything troubling you my child she began after a while erica tried to say no but the word would not pass her lips instead of replying she turned away her face what was the difficulty between lord langley and yourself today the grandmother went on to ask erica was mute tell me the simple truth the old countess insisted did you not have some dispute this morning oh it was nothing erica replied impatiently only he attempted to play the lover and i thought it quite unnecessary such folly is very unbecoming in a man of his age and besides i cannot endure anything of the kind a strange expression appeared upon the grandmother's face the same that goswin had worn when his indignation had suddenly been transformed into pity for the girl she cleared her throat once or twice and then remarked dryly how then do you propose to live with lord langley erica stared at her in dismay good heavens i have thought very little about it you know well that i do not wish to marry for love that is why i accepted an old man instead of a young one because i supposed he would refrain from all lover like folly you have always told me that you married my grandfather without love and that it turned out very well 
her grandmother was silent for a while before she rejoined in the first place constituted as you are i should wish for you a less prosaic companion for life than your grandfather but at the same time the torture which with your exaggerated sensitiveness awaits you in marrying lord langley bears no comparison with the simple tedium of my married life we married in compliance with the family arrangement and if i did so with but a small amount of esteem for him he for his part brought to the match no devouring passion for me which i should have found most annoying but the case is entirely different with lord langley he is as desperately in love with you as an old fool can be whose passion is stimulated by the consciousness of his age something in the horrified face of the inexperienced young girl must have intensified the old countess pity for her my poor child i had no idea of your innocence and inexperience i have lived on from day to day without in the least comprehending the young creature beside me she kissed the girl with infinite tenderness put out the light and left her alone her burning face buried in the pillows and sobbing convulsively a picture of despair the next day erica broke her engagement to lord langley end of chapter 14